Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast was previously recorded on March 20th of 2015. Jim and Aaron still have lunch every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Join club.baldmove.com to watch these lunches live in real time and get access to lots of other premium content. All right, so lunch with Jim and Aaron. We had a couple ideas to talk about. Uh, someone on the forum suggested that we take historical events and we suggest um, fictional people to participate in the effect. What is going on with your neck there? You know, it's weird. I just noticed that your mount is different than my mount. Like, I've got this additional, like, little knuckler that's the bane of my existence. No, I do, too. Nah, you just have the one knuckler. Knuck- knuckler? See, I got two of these two of these chrome oh. spinny deals. Yeah, you have... So, I have that, but it's it's tucked inside. It's a little gold thing. Really? You yeah, it's, that's just, it's an adapter s- that adapts the, the mic. I wonder why mine's different. We ordered them that. at the same time. I don't know. But anyway, it's weird because, like, uh, the tension between the two knuckles is, like, immense. And the t- the, the what happens is then the thing between the second one and the plastic yeah. one and it gets all loose. And I get, like, the... Yeah, droopy bike syndrome. Erectile, erectile dysfunction. DMS. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, mount, mic mounting hardware segment of Lunch Gym Neyron. So we might get to that. But right before we sat down to record, we started talking about uh, the interview we did with fail scouts and like, you know what, we want to do more of these. And we got about 30 seconds in the conversation. I was like, you know what? Save it for the gas. We should save it for the lunch in this case, yeah. as we so often do. So yesterday we posted a interview with Alex and Dennis over at fail scouts, their location scouts on better call. Saul. I'm sure you guys probably saw that. If not, it's on the front page of all move. Um, and I've gotten some feedback from people saying, oh, I hope you guys do more of these. And I was talking to Shane last night and he mentioned that, that he made a big pitch for us to talk to more of these below the line guys. What is your concern with doing? Uh, the, the other thing is to get out. Do I have concerns? That's the first question. Uh, the, the other thing to get out here is when we did our year end um, survey. Mm-hmm. The, the second most popular thing that we could do to make increase people's satisfaction right behind doing more podcasts was quit doing podcasts <laughs> <laughs> really conflicting. Yeah. Uh, you crazy. know, hard to separate the noise from the signal there. Uh-huh. Um, but it was the suggestion of do interviews. Yeah. And we, I, I think we might've said cast and crew. Uh, so clearly that would be a popular thing. I think with the bald move listeners, why is that something we're going to do more of? Uh, what are our concerns? If any, uh, let's talk about this. Okay. So my main concern is, uh, 
Well, there are a couple of concerns. I don't particularly like doing interviews. Um, okay. Why? I feel like a lot of the time you don't learn anything new that they haven't said a hundred times before because frankly, we're on the bottom of the list as far as interviews go. So you're right? talking celebrity interviews like about what, that, what yeah alex and dennis would say above the line folk or anybody who has already been interviewed at a thousand places you know anybody who's not like taylor elmore who a director an executive producer or alex who doesn't get any real press because they're not above the line or whatever but we have the, but like a matt wiener what are we going to ask matt wiener that he hasn't been asked before you wouldn't want to ask matt wiener questions just as a fan, I I'm, think that would be interesting. Fine, but I bet you can go online and read a transcript of an interview where he has answered that question. Any question you're going to ask him before. See, what I think, what I would do with Matt Weiner, what I, Weiner, first of all, I'd train myself <laughs> to say Weiner when I was talking to him. Although I think that'd be one question. It's like, uh, we call you the Weiner. How do you feel about that? Uh, him, Fuck you. Just slip him the Weiner. Uh, yeah. Dial tone. <laughs> he just, he Bezos us. He would. I think yeah. that... Um, one thing that I like to do with any interview, whether it's below the line, above the line, and we've only had below the line interviews, essentially. Um, you know, we talked to Dave Porter. He makes the music for Breaking Bad. We've talked to mm-hmm. Taylor Elmore, who is a writer producer for Justified. And we've talked to now Alex and Dennis, who are location scouts and location assistant location managers. Yeah. Um, is you have to do research. So like if I was doing a Matthew Weiner interview, I would go through and read all the interviews he's done this season mm-hmm. and throw out the obvious questions that have already been asked or sure. better yet, take some of those answers and then ask what I think was missing on the follow-up. Yeah. yeah. And then I would come up with like, you know, my own questions and I'd probably open it up like we do usually forgot to do that. The fail scouts thing. Cause I kind of fell on our laps. Sure. And open it up to the bald move listeners to see what they're curious about hearing. Yeah. And that's what we've done in the past. Um, that's kind of been our procedure. And you know, at, at like breaking bad fan fest, mm-hmm. we did this on kind of a more mass scale. Um, it took a lot of time. It wasn't one-on-one interviews, but it was uh, interview esque. you know, we wanted sure. to give them an opportunity to just kind of have fun and talk amongst themselves. But at the same time, we wanted to get information for fans. Right. Um, so we did that procedure. And I, I felt like the questions we came up with were good enough. Um, and, and we're not like asked everywhere. Uh-huh. That, that kind of stuff has been done. So my sec- it, that leads me to my second yeah. concern. Like, okay, maybe that's not like a super high concern. My second concern is we kind of on purpose have cultivated a, a personality for bald move that is outside of the the mainstream or outside of the industry mm-hmm. we we are outsiders almost on purpose sure every interview we do i feel brings us closer to not being that uh-huh uh and i i don't know whether that's good whether that's bad or if it's um, even true like i don't know uh i i don't know interviewing like composers and location scouts brings you into the inside edition of hollywood well here's the thing uh we met alex at breaking bad fan fest sure and we did the panel with him uh-huh. uh we went to gardunos with him we had uh drinks and tableside guac with him uh-huh. and then we got this interview i don't think that we ever even considered the possibility of going to this interview and asking him hard hitting questions. Well, I mean, what hard hitting questions would you ask of him? Fine, fine. But let's look, replace that with someone like Scott, Gimple. Scott Gimple or 
<laughs> Glenn Mazzara, if you really want to get <laughs> no, over the top with this. We want to put him in the dentist how, chair. How does, if we had sat down and talked with him for a few hours over guacamole and mm-hmm. drinks, mm-hmm. and then we have him on the podcast, how likely are we to ask him things that are probably going to offend him? It depends on, like Alex, he's a nice guy and an inter- engaging ga- uh, guest who has done a lot of work that I've enjoyed, unlikely. And let's say that Glenn Mazzara is the same way. Great, affable guy. Probably we we really like him as a person. Probably Are we going nice to go guy. in there and bust his balls on air? No, we're probably not. Well, and that, that fundamentally changes. Like Having a relationship with these people fundamentally changes the way you approach a conversation with them. Sure. And that's the thing that worries me. Do you think it's an app? Because I know that, you know, we've talked to a lot of people on the Walking Dead because it seems like for whatever reason, we're closest to the other Walking Dead podcasters. Mm -hmm. We hardly have a relationship with them. And we're starting to develop a relationship with some of the better cast saw people that have reached out to us. But we're, you know, we through whatever, you know, there's more of a band of brotherhood on that than there is on on a lot of podcasts. Um, on a particular genre anyway, or a particular show and universally they, they've all got like, they all get the big names. Mm -hmm. Um, they've all gotten to talk to the writers. They've all gotten to talk to the stars. And I've heard that it does, it has changed the way they approach the show. And, um, you know, I hate to, to lose any freedom that we'd have to say or any, any ability to, to rip on things, but, on the other yeah. hand, it's like, I don't know. So what's stopping us from asking, you don't have to be rude, but asking tough pointed questions to people like, mm-hmm. and if, you know, like we meet Scott Gimple and he's like, yeah, I sit down in an interview. And we say, you know, towards the end, Hey Scott, um, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there is some concern on the internet about how you guys write for minorities and develop those characters and then kind of dump those characters you know, what do you, what do you say to that criticism? Is that something that you're conscious of, of the writer's room? Is that, you know, is is there any pressure to, to, to do anything to correct that? That's a tough question that I've never heard anyone ask him, but but if he gets pissed and he never wants to do the interview with us, then fine. fine. That's not, that's not a question directly related to the quality of the show either. Like as far as a storytelling aspect, right? That's, that's more like, the diversity in the cast and crew and that kind of stuff. But if you're asking like this plot point didn't make sense, why did you guys accept that? Why did you go in that direction? Down. Why like, did you decide to make slab tap? The, the entirety of the season was terrible. Season two was a fucking rotten piece of shit. Why did you guys do this? Uh, and granted there are tactful ways to ask that question, but at the same time you were asking a question about why they are not doing their jobs. Okay. <laughs> that That's a, that's a question that can harm relationships. And in order to, but I feel like relationship in order to the show that we think is not the great, I mean, fine, fine, okay. but you're harming your future ability to get interviews. If getting interviews is your goal, asking tough questions like that, or questions that point out that they are not doing a good job at what they're doing harms your ability to in the future get those interviews Do you so think, it's it's a catch-22 situation is that a fear you have or is that something you are certain of because i don't know that might not be you know what i bet that peter molyneux is never going to do another interview with polygon i don't know if you're aware of this but yeah, they yeah, went no, in and right. they busted his balls and says you you promised this thing you didn't deliver why not uh-huh i bet he will never do another interview with them Possibly because they raked him over the coals and 
and he's well within his rights to do that. And they have hurt their future ability to get probably anything that has to do with fable on the polygon site. But did he deserve the ripping? Yeah. I oh do, yeah. I believe so too. So I agree. ultimately what of any value was lost? Like if he's got something he's really proud of and it's awesome, does future po- coverage is at stake? I mean, these, these PR guys are, but what I'm saying is like, what is polygon really lost? Like the ability if they to can't interview cover him the next in the future, but if, they've gained this, like, you know, if Peter Molyneux is heading up a game where it's become a sensation again, which mm-hmm. is not completely unlikely, um, they're going to have a tough time getting him to give them anything. Right. They're essentially going to be doing secondhand reporting, whereas other outlets can do firsthand reporting, get the scoops, and they're going to be left out in the wind. So I guess this is what I, my question is. If our, our main thrust isn't these interviews, these are just kind of like bonus things where maybe we can learn something new about the production or we get some insight we didn't have before, if those mm-hmm. disappear. So let's say, you know, we talked to Scott Gamble, we royally piss him off. Yeah. Uh, and then Alex goes to work as a location scout on the spinoff of The Walking Dead. And we go to talk to Alex. He's like, oh, you know what? Uh, what's his face? As Gimple has said, you're a no fly zone anymore. Sure. First of all, I would talk about that on the podcast. Yeah. So, because, you know, because that's bullshit. Uh, second of all, when Alex gets free from that re- oppressive regime, then we can talk to him again because it's not personal between him and us. Sure. And like, I feel like we like stuff more than we don't like. So, I guess I'm not afraid to piss off Gimple or a particular actor or star because if we, if we don't, if we get shut off from interviews, we're exactly in the boat we're in now, which is mm-hmm. looking pretty good. Yeah, but you this can't. This is not a bad boat to be in. Sure, but we couldn't do a show like Mark Marin and have a reputation for asking questions that nobody wants to answer. What do you mean? Like Mark Marin is all about his, his entire business model as a podcaster is sure. interview based. Does he, if he went around and pissed off everybody he interviewed, no one would interview with him. Right? Yeah. But I don't think we would be in a position where we'd be pissing off everyone we interviewed. And if we, and if, again, if we did, then who cares? Because at the end of the day, we go back to having no interviews and what have we gained? What have we lost? My, sure. But if you're, if you're predicating any kind of business model on it, it's a dangerous thing to do. Hmm. My concern, because I don't really care. Like, no, I would much rather have the business model of we say what the fuck we want, and our listeners are the ones backing us up. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, I think we can do that and still have the interviews. My concern is, we, uh, my point is, we won't get the interviews. We'll get a few. We'll piss people off, and then they'll stop giving us interviews. We might piss one or two people off, but you know, Scott Gimble's not going to get a blacklisted from Hollywood. <laughs> I'm. But here's my concern. My concern is more of the subtle psych- psychology of. Uh, yeah, once you start talking to people, it's first of all, it's hard to ask tough questions of people, mm-hmm. even when they deserve it. To, and I don't want in the back of my mind, even if it's a subconscious thing, because you can't control your subconscious. Uh, you know, if I'm 20% less likely to um, bust on something that needs to be busted, or, and it's like we got some big personal grudge against Scott Gimple, he goes on five years from now and does something amazing. I don't want it the other way, where it's like, I hate this guy, he's a dick. So I'm going to not be impressed with what he's doing just because of that, you know, bias that I'm having against him. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think shaking hands with people and having conversations, uh, it, it, it biases the interview. You almost have to be kind of a stranger hmm. when you're interviewing someone to 
like you have to have done your research, but you can't have a friendly relationship with them to get a really solid interview. I feel mm-hmm. unless, unless you just think that that person does no wrong. And so does the rest of the world. Like I could have a conversation with Vince Gillian. Cause mm-hmm. I don't, frankly, I don't think there are any hard questions I would actually ask him. Why did lone gunman suck? I don't care about the lone gunman. <laughs> no, but does saying, anybody fucking care? I know, about lone I know, gunman? I know. I'm just, why did, at the time did you think that the 747 crash or 737, whatever it is, crash was a good idea? Hell no. Were you surprised at the internet uh, backlash that you got for it? Yeah, Th- that sort of stuff. And he got those. Alan Sepinwall asked him those questions. Yeah, sure. Alan Sepinwall has not been blacklisted. But that, like, those are the only questions I can think of. With Scott Gimple, it's an entirely fucking different ball game. Sure, I could think of 150 different. But why are questions we, why are him. we why are we building our interview philosophy around an outlier? What are you talking about? Scott Gimple. Like we don't have adversarial relationships with most of the showrunners and most of the people that work on the shows we cover sure. because we only cover the stuff that we like on some level, even the walking mm-hmm. dead, you know, just when we think, Oh God, it's gotten to be too much. They rip off the last three episodes and we're like, Oh wow, we're back to be engaged in this. Well, I, I use as an example of the one side, there's the other side where you're too friendly with the person. Mm-hmm. And so when like you do some good work here, you, you develop some relationship with these guys. Then they do something that sucks, right? Like, let's say, uh, I don't know, Vince Gilligan were, were to go on to do just a really bad show that, was, possible. Pop, that was popular. Mm-hmm. And we called it out as such. Mm-hmm. But we had interviewed him many times and developed a friendly relationship with him yeah. in the past. Now that colors the interview that we do in the future. Do you think it's inevitable or do you think there are? I think it's inevitable. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I don't think personally, I don't feel like you go in and you ask the same questions of someone you like, uh, of someone you either don't know or don't like. So are you dead set? Okay. So what is your personal interview philosophy then? Like, why do we do fail scouts? Cause it sounds like you're dead <sighs> set against interviewing period. I, I don't like to do it a lot and I don't like to, I don't know. I'm, I'm not dead set against it. I just haven't figured it out, mm. figured out a way to do it in, in a fashion that doesn't compromise the quality of the interview. And I, and I, I just, I really don't know how you do that. Mm. I don't know. I and mean, what do you think about it? You're, you're asking me all these questions and I know we kind of have a similar. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been it. asking you the tough questions. You're the, you're the you can ask me the tough here. questions. Yeah. I personally don't give a shit about celebrity interviews. No, I like, don't give a fuck about interviewing Tom Cruise about it would latest be, movie. It would be an ego boost to talk to Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, right. and it would be cool to have a photograph of myself with them, but I'm not going to learn a damn thing. I'm not going to ask Brian Cr- uh, uh, Cranston a question is going to have him focus off in the middle distance, a tear form in his eye, and I understand him on a fundamental basis. And the stuff I really want to know about, like if I'm interviewing um, Bob Odenkirk, the stuff I really want to know about is stuff that's going to happen in the future, which he's not going to be able to answer sure. in any kind of con- uh, fashion. So, you know, I could I could dig into his past and find out, um, you know, like in the case of Dean Norris, it's it's uh, we almost interviewed Dean Norris and we were thinking of like, you know, angles we could take. It's like, well, you know, he's an Indiana boy and he went to college in Notre Dame. So we could talk about like what it's like to be a Hoosier and what it's like to be out in L.A. And 
you know, Midwest versus Dakota. And like, you but know, who a lot gives of, a fuck, right? Yeah. Like that's like, the, that's a conversation you want to have, not an interview. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm over, uh, underestimating people or overestimating people, but I feel like the most people are going to like, this has nothing to do with why I like Dean Norris, which is that he plays agent Hank Schrader on breaking bad. And, that said, I really like Mark Maron's interview with Brian Cranston, which has <laughs> not a lot to do with breaking bad. And I, I, I kind of like those too. Like the few, I don't like the Nerdist a lot, but like when he interviewed Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks, yeah, great interview that I learned a lot about because I have an immense affection for Tom Hanks across of, it's like, I've, I like Tom Hanks cause he's Tom Hanks at this point. I'm not there at Dean Norris. I like Dean Norris cause he did one thing that I really liked. Sure. And he was, but really I'd have good to ask it. him about under the dome and why it's such a colossal piece of shit. It's not his fault, but no, no, so, certainly not. So, but I don't care. But I, every single time I've talked to Taylor or Dave or Alex or any of those guys, uh, I had a really good time and I learned something that surprised me about the make movie making process. Yeah. And I've heard a really good story about what it's like. And I think that stuff is interesting and I would like to do more of it. And I just can't, uh, you know, these guys are more like craftsmen, you know, and, mm-hmm. and artists, they, I, yeah. it feels like that. That's the stuff I want to talk to him about. You know, the stuff that is, is a little more tangible. I and also, guess. I'm not asking Alex what his life story is and, you know, why, what he eats for breakfast and what was his formative. I'm asking him, what it was like to work with Giancarlo Esposito yeah. or like, I mean, that stuff comes up, that stuff comes up organically, you know, but I think that what I want to know about him is the nuts and bolts. I want to talk to him about his job, which is different than what you're talking with a a Brian Cranson or, you know, Andrew Lincoln and all that stuff. Yeah, I I like the, so I I like the nuts and bolts below the line, as he calls it, interviews. So if you're asking me like what I would like to see Bald Move do in the future, I'd like to see Bald Move reach out to writers and uh, camera people and set designers and makeup people and stunt coordinators Mm -hmm. and talk about that aspect of it. And I don't, because most of the time, like I would be, you know, if like I have no idea what Al Godo is working on right now. I have no idea. Like if Alex goes to a different project, it's not like I'm going IMDB and like, Oh, let me see who's the, Oh shit. It's Alex G. I'm not going to be able to talk shit about this thing. Because they are below the line. So like, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like that sometimes if I would say like, wow, that that thing really sucked, they'd probably agree with it because they clearly don't like everything they've ever worked on. You know, I get uh, there's not as much ego, I guess. And I'm less aware. I, I think you're right. I think you're definitely right. These are more th- these people have been less tainted by the experience of Hollywood <laughs> to a degree. Um, they, they kind of have a more realistic perspective on things. Here's the thing. I, I hear a lot of people say, give, give a lot of advice on what you should do as a podcaster mm-hmm. and what works and what doesn't and how to conduct yourself. And I sometimes agree. I often disagree. Sure. Almost always I hear it from people who have just started podcasting mm-hmm. and they, they think they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are in the exact same boat with interviewing and and Hollywood as an industry where we can sit back and say, Oh, we could just do these interviews and everything would go off fine. It wouldn't taint our perspective. It wouldn't uh, taint the interview and we'd never get blacklisted and it'd be great. 
Whereas you never see that. You never fucking see that. And there's a reason for it. So do you see the studio as like a clean room? Like we're building a, a, a probe to going to Mars and we can't risk contaminating <laughs> it. Where, I mean, not I, exactly like that. But because I think there is a room to like, we can try that. And if we find out it's coloring our coverage, we could always take a step back from it. But, but I can guess, you? Like, can you see, can you step out of yourself and say, oh, I was definitely... Uh, go one easy on him because I know him or well I mean you've always got the listeners I mean I feel like if if we're doing weak sauce they're not shy about telling us that and then we you know the thing about listener feedback is that you have to you can get one person who just says that they fucking hate your show and they you're an idiot and you got this and that wrong and sometimes they're pretty transparent. It's they're easy to ignore because they're spelling everything wrong. And, and, and they, 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 they might have, have wrong. They might have me on one thing, but they're listing five things that they got wrong. It's like, okay, whatever. But every once in a while you'll get yeah. one that kind of stings. Sure. But the trick is, it's like, you have to kind of look at it. It's just data, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, this guy is, has an opinion and that opinion for him is valuable. And if you know, you kind of run it through the internal feedback loop. It's like, what is correct? What is not right? What can I use? What do I need to ignore? How many other people are feeling this way? You know, is this, is this a serious problem or is this a serious problem for this guy? So, but I feel like that yeah. we, we would, if we started doing cream puff bullshit that no one cared about, we would get feedback. I guess what I'd be more afraid of is people really liking the, the, the cream puff stuff. And we would not have that feedback loop engaged. Because it's true that yeah. there is not a unique question you can ask Brian Cranson. <laughs> Out of the 30,000 people who listen to a Breaking Bad podcast, less than 1% probably read all the interviews that he's been asked those. So like this sure, is yeah. new information to them. Even if it's older. That's why the talk show circuit works. Because, you know, you're... <laughs> that's why Dan Carlin's podcasts work. That's why anybody's. Because that's Ned, all out there. There but is I don't no universal experience and universal information. And I sometimes feel like that we've got this perfectionist streak where we don't want to do it if we can't do it perfectly. Whereas the other way to look at it is we could do a pretty good job of it and get information that's unique to a lot of people out there that wouldn't have otherwise gotten it. So why wouldn't we do that? And I don't totally feel that way. That's me kind of playing a little internet advocate. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I would definitely like to see us try for more of the nuts and bolts aspects. And especially, yeah, I think it's a dangerous game and our perspective on it is not super valid at this point because we haven't done it. But that's a kind of a weird argument to make that we haven't done it so we can have a perspective. So it's therefore not. we can't do it. No, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm saying uh, you're making assertions that it wouldn't affect us. No, why would it? Well, you don't know that. You don't know that because we haven't done it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like anything else in the world. Once, once you get a little bit of experience, your perspective changes and you start to understand it better. I, I feel like we, we are there with like the nuts and bolts of podcasting, but not interviewing. Sure. Like the particular type of podcast we do, we're, we're fairly good at it, but what I think would be cool. I don't know about it. What I think would be cool, but I don't think it'd be successful that you know if an ideal world if i was just doing this for myself i would like to do a lot of season retrospectives like instead of doing a wrap-up cast Hmm. we might take six weeks and each week talk to like the set designers the writers the and talk about like the key moments and how they made it and what influence changed and what other directions i think that'd be super fascinating but nobody'd care 
because yeah. our stuff like is very how a season, how how a season of TV was two built. weeks after yeah. a particular season wraps up, no one cares about it anymore. It's true. Um, so like that stuff that's like it'd be super interesting, and I think it'd have a very low risk of influence are influencing, but I don't know that the people would want to talk about it because they're moving on to other things, and that's like you know old stuff. Um, and I don't that's know that thing, our man, listeners it's... would care either. It gets rough with those interviews too, because like as, as by the way, the Q and a app is on. So if you've guys got, yeah, please, I would love to see what you guys are thinking about this or if you guys would, are you're done with this and you'd like us to move on to something else. Uh, we have about 10 more minutes. We're kind of cr- uh, crushed for time with some house of cards stuff today. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I've lost my thread there. So, uh, well, let's see. What were we talking about before I shut you down? Uh, <laughs> um, shit. Oh, we talked about the wrap up and how I'd like to have this long tail of content, but I suspect why that would be interesting. Nobody would listen to it. And it's like one of those things where if you make a really awesome podcast in the middle of the forest and no one's there to hear it, then did you actually make an awesome podcast? Yeah. Yeah. And as we get more successful, that becomes more of an issue, honestly, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's an evolving thing. What's that other thing that's like, like is weird for me. Like I've never been one to chase traffic. But when you're talking priorities, that is something you can't ignore. Like something that Yeah, now that is, it's not a hobby, it's something you, you have to think about. Yeah, like if I do this for a couple hundred people or I could do this other thing for thousands of people, why wouldn't I, unless I have strong creative or whatever impulses that are driving me away from the, the thing with mass appeal, why wouldn't I do the thing with mass appeal? I don't like that. But I it's know. also it, real. Yeah, and that, that bleeds into interviews as well, you know? Not just the shows we cover, but what we would do with an interview. Yeah. Like, if we can interview a below-the-line guy in a really fascinating interview that we love that gets 500 people to download it, that's useless. And and we would be better off, business-wise, interviewing Brian Cranston for the 400th time and asking him softball questions and having 10,000 people download a podcast or do, if you don't want to do that, do a different podcast on something completely different to try to track a new audience. Sure. Um, I feel, I do think, and that's the thing, like we're always, I feel like we need more data to see how interesting these interviews are to people and how popular they are. Mm -hmm. But, um, I do think that the one difference, like if, you know, we got half the traffic on an interview podcast, we get on a main cast, there's still, if we're learning something and we take those, if we can take the tidbits we're learning uh, and the relationships that we're building and they make us the main podcast better, that would be still valuable. You know, like if we get a tidbit that we can then use a couple weeks down the line, that's really insightful and hit home to people that didn't even listen to the main podcast. Like, you know, the fail scouts interview, maybe that's, you know, it's a very pleasant conversation. Um, maybe there was like five or 10 minutes that were like super interesting and like really blew my mind, especially since I talked to Alex before. Um, but that was still some like solid five or 10 minutes that is going to be in float, kicking around in my skull and mm-hmm. uh, stuff I'm going to make free associations with later on down the line. I don't know. Like, you know, all the articles I read and all the forums I read and all the email I read, it's like, it's hard to say that one thing went directly into this podcast and made it better. But that yeah. whole stew without it, if I just went in, watched the show two, once 
and got on the microphone. That's the thing I guess a lot of people don't understand as far as like, why does it, you know, why can't you only do like four podcasts a week? Uh, well, because I could watch a show and talk about it without any kind of preparation, but it wouldn't be the podcast you like. Sure. It would be a lot more informed, uh, a lot more, uh, uh, don't know. I haven't thought about it. It'd be less like just, you know, a, a conversation, um, than it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's a dangerous game with interviews. Uh, especially are we going to hunt down. The, are we going to release Alex and Dennis and, uh, uh, Dave Porter into a jungle and then hunt them with assault rifles? Cause that would be the most dangerous we, game. We could do that. <laughs> uh, Take bets on the listeners who would survive longest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who do you think between Alex, Dennis, and Dave, who would survive? You're not gonna throw Taylor in there. Mm, well, Taylor's from Justified. I just feel like he's he, like he's yeah. He can go out in, in the woods in, and be fine. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah, he'll just bring a bottle of moonshine and then he'll you know he might hunt us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turn the tables on us. Uh, hmm. Dave, Alex, or Dennis. I feel like it might be Dennis. Me too. Yeah. I think Dave relies too much on his synthesizers. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's, that's he'd all of his to meals this, are coming this, from the sound music. out of an African wind instrument. And, and he'd he, be too focused on that and not focused on finding food right, and, and right. being hunted, frankly. Right. right. Uh, and then Alex, Alex strikes me as a guy who likes the, uh, the creature comforts. I don't think he's out in the woods foraging for food. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't, I don't know that he knows how to fashion a bow out of sticks and mm. leaves. Dennis is just, uh, you know, he's a little bit more unassuming. So he's, he's yeah. going to, you know, blend into the background. Maybe it's just because I don't know as much about him. Right. And yeah. I'm thinking we're just bl- he's a mystery. The yeah. denominator. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the wild card. Got about five more minutes for questions. If you guys got any, I thought I saw one flash up and then it got deleted. So nope, gone. Whatever. Um, what else? I think we've. We've talked about our interview philosophy enough. Uh, what else do we need to talk? Should we talk about? Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's too late to do a historical thing because that's like an easy half hour conversation onto its own. Yeah. Like you know, go back to the birth of the nation. Substitute George Washington for Frank Underwood. Yeah. Chaos ensues. Hmm. <laughs> uh, hmm. I don't know. Have you been watching anything? Playing anything? Uh, I mean, I'm about to upload a massive two-hour podcast that me, Cecily, and Shane recorded about Banshee and Jinx, and that's like the bulk of my television watching. Uh, I recently watched all of season one through season three of Downton Abbey, and I'm working my way through the back catalog of Tom and Kelly's I never heard. Because I first started listening to them around season three when we brought downstairs when we brought them on board, and so I went back and started over from season one, and it's been uh, really enjoyable because I like what they do, and um, I love Downton Abbey, and it's it's fun to kind of extend my enjoyment of that. Yeah, I listened um, to their podcast up until I stopped watching Downton Abbey. Sure, after season two, I think. Uh, I watched a couple of uh, John Oliver, but that's just like you know, it's really good stuff. Yeah, I haven't had time for any it's of that. It's not exactly super exciting. Oh. I played City Skylines. That's about all I've been doing. Um, a bit of Destiny. Thoughts on a Parks and Rec finale by Spencer Hockenberry. Um, you don't watch Parks and Rec. I mean, well, I've seen like six seasons. So okay. to say you that I don't watch it is, <laughs> is a little bit of a misnomer. 
I thought the last season was awesome. Um, I don't think it's the best season that it's ever had because it's hard for a comedy to, you know, once it's had like really solid seasons to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you got continuity, like it's easier for something like an always sunny or a Simpsons to stay relevant that long because they can just, you know, play with continuity as they see fit. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was exactly, it, it, it went out, it died as it lived. It had a lot of heart. Um, it was very positive and upbeat and about people that, you know, were weird and uh, different, but they all cared about each other. I'm trying to think of my, some of my favorite moments. I thought the finale was more emotionally satisfying than it was funny. Um, I thought the funniest episode is probably the one where jam was married to Tammy, Tammy two. And he, she turned him into a mini Ron Swanson clone and living like Ron Swanson was killing his mortal frame, like that much whiskey and scotch and meat was just, his hair was falling out. His skin was getting blotchy. I think his teeth were, were starting to rot. Like only Ron Swanson can sustain a Ron Swanson level. It's a good premise. I like it. And honestly, my my favorite part is like Alan Sepinwall had interviews with everyone that was anyone in parks and rec. And I've never really delved into a lot of behind the scenes park and rec stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting, like f- there's some funny things like Nick Offerman, I guess is not a big fan of stage eating. And there's this one scene where he's having to eat cheeseburger after cheeseburger and take after take us. And he's like, guys, guys, I'm not actually Ron Swanson. This might kill me if I have another bite. That was a really funny moment. And then, you know, just, I thought the best interview is the guy who plays Gary Gergich and the evolution, you know, he's the kind of fat doughy dude that's always farting and making mistakes and everybody's oh, making yeah, fun yeah, of yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what? I always wondered like, I didn't he leave. Play? He left after a while. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. He stayed through to the end. And like, that was the one thing that His character left. That was the one thing that always struck me as a sour note on the show is like, everyone's so nice. And then everybody's just so unreasonably mean to this guy. Mm-hmm. And what is it like? Like if you played a character on a television show that everyone on a television show hated, that, that's got to bleed through onto the set a little bit, but apparently not. And I thought that that was another favorite part uh, is that they gave Jerry a really very positive arc that made you feel like, yes, his office life sucked, but every bit of his, the rest of his life was awesome. Like way awesomer than yeah, yeah, anybody yeah. else on the show. So it kind of took the sting out of it. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got time for one more. From She is Geeky on the interview subject, I assume. Tough call, but I can see both your sides of debate. I really feel like that with the Walking Dead podcast, I enjoy the no-holds-barred comments about the good and the bad. Your cast is the only one that I still listen to that for that reason only. Hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, we don't want that to go away. Yeah. But that's a kind of unique situation. We don't have a lot of our podcasts that are geared that way. No, we don't. Um, But I also don't want to feel like I can't gear a podcast that way if it needs it yeah like so, so let's say if we were doing full-time podcasts this whole time and we'd never stop doing justified season five of justified would have been rough mm. because here's a show that i previously loved but now just nothing is working and it's all falling flat and like i couldn't even put my finger on why um but yeah i don't know it's That's, a little easier to criticize sitting behind these mics than it would be talking to someone though That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, because I, I don't know how you view it, but when we're doing these podcasts, I kind of sort of disconnect myself from the idea that thousands of people are going to hear this. Sure. Um, and it makes it easier to say what I actually think. 
Although Whereas if someone is on the phone and you've got to say this to them and you can hear in the reaction of their voice, like, you know, Oh, you know, you take me back. Then yeah, that's definitely true. And I, there is some psych psychology because I've been doing this long enough that when I'm starting to talk, I kind of have a sense of when something's going to be unpopular and mm-hmm. I find myself talking slower and being more measured and trying to not like I can hear the keyboards clicking in the back of my head as I'm making the statement. And I'm like, ah, I really don't want to get email about this, especially emails is going to take me out of context and misstrew it. So I'm trying to be more careful. Whereas most of the time I just, you know, I'm actually saying stuff before I fully thought about it and that doesn't happen. And then I can uh-huh. see that like that phenomenon is not going to get better when you're talking to people that are quote unquote famous or involved in the things that you're a fan of. Cause that's the other thing. We're an outsider, but we're also a fan cast, not a fan boy cast, but obviously we like these shows. We wouldn't be talking about them. Yeah. And most, you know, most podcasts you've listened to from people who are not doing this, from a fan perspective or not reading your feedback mm. or not even considering what you might think about the show, yeah. they're telling you what they think. Yeah. Uh, we tell you what we think, but we also want to know what you think. We also want to know or want to hear the differences of opinions that people have, you know? Right. It's not just, it's a two way street mm-hmm. with us. Whereas go to some of the bigger places. Yeah, traditional critics. It it's like, more of you a, never see after buzz reading a piece of feedback from somebody. Right. Is that true? I don't know. I don't listen to after buzz, but I will say that I like, don't know, maybe, maybe they do occasionally have like callers. Alan doesn't think, do mail. Alan Seppenwall, who's my gold standard for critics. Um, and I'm a massive fanboy. and he actually, I've sent him some email and he's responded in every single time. Yeah. But he doesn't read that shit on the, the air. No, no it, it's not. like, he doesn't get into his threads except on a rare occasion where he feels like, what he said has been misconstrued to respond to his own threads and stuff. I'm sure he reads it though, but it yeah. doesn't, it's not as collaborative or like a, you know, snake eating its own tail. Like our, our coverage is. Yeah. And that said, I think podcasting is changing and it's, it's interesting to watch it. I mean, now that like, you know, NPRs and slates and stuff are getting into podcasting, it's, it's turning into a more professional thing and something that, to some degree excludes hobbyists and, uh, and fans like they're, they're making products for people Mm -hmm. as opposed to being like making products for they're making products for customers as opposed to making something with a community. Wow. And it's, I wish we had more time because I'd like to tear into that. I have like many follow-ups, but we don't. Um, I think I know what you're saying though, like something like cereal, which is a project. It's a, it's, it's not a conversation or a fan yeah. cast a week or just two people talking. It it's has actually, a goal. It's, it's a crafted piece of work and something that we don't, I mean, that's not something we do. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you, but I don't, the, where I disagree, I think is I don't think that this, that the, the, the talking the, the, you know, the, the coffee clash type podcasts are going anywhere. It's just suddenly they're going to have to compete with these other more polished, more, not even polished. It's not a professional thing. It's a public access cable versus network television. Mm. Nobody watches public access cable, like comparatively. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe if more public access cable was like Wayne's world, people would watch. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Maybe so. But my point is, 
as podcasting becomes more of a mainstream thing, uh-huh. the types of shows are going to be catered to the mainstream, not mm-hmm. to, not to fans and hobbyists and the kind of amateur productions that it has been in the past. And right. I, there's, there's some, there's some pressure to move towards that. There's as far as like a business perspective, uh-huh. which yeah, well, if we try to balance business and, and fans, cause I mean, we are a business, but we're also fans. Yeah. And that's a really tough line to walk. Right. Unfortunately, we don't, there's not a lot of times where we're called to make, you know, like the Americans thing was a definitely thing where uh, the business versus the personal versus the fan fulfillment was like a perfect storm. And it was like really hard to make that decision. But usually yeah, what we ultimately decide is what's good for business is also good for listeners. And is also good for us. Like, you know, we try to put as many win, win, win situations as we can. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's yeah. ideal. I'm just right right now. I think we're one of the more popular TV networks, but I see, I see places popping up with their own shows that are, that are real companies. Like, yeah, I have heard of them. Not yet. Not Maybe. yet. But as more mainstream people get into the game, we could see, you know, the things that are supporting us like advertising go away from the, more fan based stuff into the things that attract millions of viewers and millions sure. of viewers because that's where the their value for their dollar makes more but sense. That's why even like two years ago when we, were, we we actually wrote a manifesto like you know with like core values that we wanted to get down. Yeah. When we just started like thinking about this thing turning a profit mm-hmm. because you know that's kind of weirdos we are. Um, I. That's a, I don't know. I feel like that's something that they can't compete with. And that's one of the reasons why we've always, perf- we've always prized internal revenue, like stuff that we can generate with our fans more than external revenue, yeah, because definitely. you're right. The big guys are always going to get the lion's share of that. But if we can have the relationships with our listeners such that they want to support us, you know, that's something that we don't have to chase. It's not something we have to grind for. It's not something that we have to worry about someone sucking away from us. Yeah. Because no, you can't suck away the, the fan. Your passion and your relationships with, with, with people. Absolutely. And I think the trick for us is as we get bigger, we are going to have to figure out a way to polish the shows enough to make them uh, compete with the big guys on a different level. Like, like we want the fans to be there supporting us and in the same numbers that the mainstream people are, are supporting the shows uh-huh. that don't do all the stuff we do. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, you know, production value is one of those things that we, we think about a lot. I don't know whether, whether or not to do interviews is something we think about. Uh, and it's, it's, it gets blurrier and blurrier, which mm-hmm. exciting in mm-hmm. some ways. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's not a, there's not a written playbook for this stuff. Well, anyway, no. mm-hmm. that's another lunch with Jim and Aaron. Thanks for joining us for some uh, internal debate, and uh, we'll be back next week 